we've not met, my name's Susie. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm here today with Debbie, who leads the church with her husband, John, and Ollie, who's our youth and young adults pastor. And um, we're going to be doing something a little bit differently um, this morning. Do feel free when you finish praying, do, do come on over. That's pretty. We're going to do something a little bit differently because we want to respond to something that we sense that God is doing. And I'm going to be interviewing uh, Ollie and Debbie. And so if you were here last week for Vision Sunday, uh, and if you weren't, do catch up on that because it's absolutely brilliant. But John mentioned that God has been stirring something extraordinary amongst university students in a place in America called Asbury. It's in Kentucky. And um, some people have been calling it like a revival. Others have been calling it and outpouring. But basically what happened, almost a month ago or so, on the 8th of February, um, these university students, it's a Christian university, they, they were used to having regular chapel meetings, and they had a regular chapel meeting, and at the end, almost everybody left, apart from about 20 people, something like that, who just carried on worshipping. And so there's about 20 of them, and by lunchtime, what happened is the word was getting out, and, 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 and people just felt compelled to come back because God was doing something, they just started worshipping. So we just flip back to that other photo, that's, that was lunchtime that first day. And that second photo, that was by the evening on that first day. And so you can see that, that lots of people were gathering. And, um, and what happened is it resulted in just young people, university students, worshipping, crying out to God, repenting, calling out for his presence for hours and hours and hours. Actually, almost 400 uninterrupted hours. Absolutely incredible. And so many people came from, from America. They came across all across the world to find out what God was doing. And um, so many people, this little place, Asbury, okay, it has like between five and 6,000 people there. And over the course, like 50,000 people or so came to it. And on one particular day, on the Sunday, I think you can see in the next photo, the, the city, they were there, overflows had to be opened. And uh, the ta- little town got so overwhelmed that they actually had to close the town. you see the next photo, there you go. And... Um, <laughs> We spoke to some guys from Asbury on a Zoom call the other day and they let us know that even their sewage system could not cope with that amount of people. It was absolutely incredible. Um, And so throughout this time, there's been testimonies, testimonies of people coming to faith, um, especially young people, Generation Z, experiencing this outpouring in a unique way and um, experiencing life-changing repentance, consecration, freedom and healing. And um, I saw a lot of it unfolding on social media and some of these videos, they went viral on, on TikTok and on Instagram and later on they started doing a live Stream, which I was absolutely, I mean, I didn't even watch any Home and Away. I was absolutely addicted to, to the live stream. And just, just re- I know, I know, Debbie's just realised that's a real sacrifice. Um, but anyway, I, I was just really, really wanting to see what God was doing, but also encountering him as I was watching this live stream. But Debbie and Ollie, actually, independently of each other, got on a plane, went out there. And so today we're going to hear from you guys. So first of all, why did you go? And why didn't you take me? <laughs> all a bit spontaneous. I had began to pick up a little bit of something is going on in Asbury, and then I heard from reliable sources that they felt it was genuine, it was authentic. And, um, and I think, you know, many people of my generation, um, you know, not the younger, as in the under 25, we, we have been crying out to the Lord for a move of his spirit for I don't know how long. And, you know, I've had so many words about it, and I've had seasons of praying and praying. And to be honest, I'd got to a place of like, Lord, are you? What's that? Is it that we just can't see it? What's going on? And so um, I remember I, I called Jordan. Who, my, our son Jordan lives in California, and he usually has a finger on the pulse, but he, hadn't, he didn't know anything. But then when five minutes of me saying, what's going on, he texted and said, I'm going. I've booked a, you know, a car when we get there and an Airbnb. Do you want to join me? So I'm like, yes. So that was it. That's how I ended up going. Well, and what about you, Ollie? 
Yeah, it's kind of crazy that I ended up going because um, I, I am not, if anyone that knows me, I am not at all spontaneous. The prospect of jumping on a plane to like jump and go and see something on the other side of the world is not me, right? So um, I got, a, I hadn't even really heard much about it. I'd seen a couple of WhatsApps. Um, I hadn't really looked at them much. I just, I knew that something was going on. And then I got a text from a friend of mine who lives down in London and he basically texted me saying something along the lines of like, crazy idea, I want to go and see the stuff that's going on in Asbury. I'll pay for your flights and your accommodation. Do you want to come? And um, I took a lot longer than I probably should have done to think about that. I really, for a couple of days, was like, should I go? Like, it seems like they're changing things a little bit, blah, blah, blah. But um, basically, eventually decided that um, it was right to go. Because I think, I don't know about you guys, but even as you're hearing about this this morning, we tend to sometimes fall into one of two camps. Either sometimes we're, we completely jump and get on board and be like, yes, this sounds amazing, or we're probably at a more like cynical end of it. And I probably would tend to be sometimes at the little bit more of the cynical end of things. And so I just felt quite challenged of like, do I want to be someone who errs on the side of cynicism, or do I want to be someone who errs on the side of curiosity and goes and sees what God is doing? And it was free as well, so that was good. <laughs> and so you guys got there and tell us like what and also the reason we're talking about Asbury today is, is not because we're trying to create like Asbury 2.0 or something like that or we're obsessed with Asbury it's because we sense that God is doing something and stirring something and we want to be hungry for more of God so that's why we're talking about it so you end up in the room and yeah. tell us about it yes yeah, so that was a real blessing I think as you say it's not because we're trying to go on and on about Asbury but because we do really sense that God is stirring something genuine and it is spreading and it's already spread to um, over 15 universities are experiencing a similar thing to Asbury in, in America. And then there's hotspots uh, around the world. I think there is such a hunger. So anyway, I, I, I got there. We, we turned up very late the first night, and we, we were just too late to get in. They'd already closed it. People were in the room worshipping, but they closed it to new people coming in until the next morning at 1 o'clock. And so we realized by then there was no way we were going to get in the building without queuing for a long time. We arrived at 6.30 in the morning, and queued for six and a half hours. And uh, I actually think that the, the queuing was really good because I certainly had my heart was prepared by the time I got to the doors. And, uh, and we met so many people who'd come from so many different backgrounds and um, experiences of God. And some of them were definitely not charismatics. Um, they, had, they talked about being pulled. And as we got closer, I, I could feel the, it was like a weight, a weightiness, a sort of a sense in the air that you could almost sort of hold something. And, um, and, and I just began to weep before I even got in. I started just doing business with the Lord. Like, Lord, I'm so sorry. All the things that I've put before you, the things that distract me, all sorts of stuff came up. And I remember we applauded the young people who went in first. And then as we got in, the, the, the stewards who were all sort of older, the older people there were facilitating everything and working. The young people were sort of dictating the pace and what was going on, but the, young, the older folks were facilitating. And as we came in, they were weeping, and we went, up, we went up to the balcony. The young people went to the lower floor. And I just felt was so moved and so, uh, on one hand, relieved that God is doing something with the young people who desperately need it. At the same time, just so um, amazed and, and privileged to be in a place where God had been worshipped for so long, so there was such a sense of his presence, and you could really feel it. And I just wept for four and a half hours, and then... Um, there were stories of testimonies. There were some of them would read the Word of God in a way that was just so profound. It's like it hit me all over again. Every scripture they read, it was like, oh, that is so true. Oh my gosh! And, and I was believing it all over again. And then, um, and then I just found nine and a half hours had gone by, and I heard them say, 
if you feel the Lord release you, there'll be, there are others outside who'd like to come in. And I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, I've been in, you know, there's somebody outside, I need to go. Had I not heard it, apparently they said it every hour, but I didn't hear it. And so that was obviously the right time for me to leave. Clearly the Lord needed to do a lot of work in my life. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Ollie, what about you? You were there sort of a few, few days later, so things looked a bit different. Yeah, so I was there a few days after Debbie, and um, it had changed a little bit because they'd obviously realised we're a university, we need to figure out how to, how to continue university life. So it was just an evening thing. It was from about 7 o'clock till midnight. And we got there similarly quite late on the first night. We managed to just get into the overflow venue, and it was still amazing. There was a real... like it. It was just really calm and really, there were, you walked into the room and there were some people being prayed for and ministered to. There were some people just like worshipping away. Um, there was this altar at the front, Debbie talks about, where you could, you could just go up and just receive prayer. And there would be these um, generally older people. And I include, unfortunately, that included me. Um, it was anyone over 25 was considered like the older generations there. Um, uh, we're just there to really warmly receive people. It was, it was so beautiful to see these people going up with all their brokenness. They kept using this word gunk, going up with all their gunk to let it out. And just um, people very warmly and very lovingly putting their arms around them, praying for them and welcoming them. Um, and then the next night we, we, got into the, we managed to get into the main venue. And um, it, was, it was incredible, but there was a lady I spoke to uh, whilst I was out there who had been there for the whole thing. And she used this phrase, she said, it's been overwhelmingly underwhelming. And that, to me, really summarised what was going on. Because on the one hand, you walked into these rooms and you're like, God is clearly moving here. But on the other hand, it wasn't, like this new radical thing. There were just people really worshipping. There were people going up to confess and repent because they felt like that's what they wanted to do. And so in some ways, it felt very normal, but also kind of not at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think the thing that drew me most to it, sort of watching stuff online, was just how it was so far from being a show. It was so far, far from being about an individual that the worship was led by students continuously who were sort of switching in, switching out. And uh, there was no lights, there was no smoke. And um, it felt like a faceless kind of thing. What, what, Ollie, Ollie, what would you say like, you think God is doing in the midst of it? I think, I'm sure there's loads of things. I think one thing, me and Suze were talking a little bit about this week because there was a talk that we were listening to. And um, obviously we all desperately need God. All of us have our own stuff. All of us even today have our own stuff that we'll have brought into the room. But I do think there is something particular about that youngest generation, um, Generation Z, they get called under 25 kind of age, that... For many generations over the last however many years, um, things have generally got better for people. It's been easier to buy houses and like all different kinds of things and there's been not many wars and that kind of stuff. Whereas it does feel like this youngest generation, it feels like things have gone in the other direction and it feels like all of a sudden things feel harder. And as someone who works with young people, um, and it wasn't miles ago that I was a teenager, it definitely is really hard being a teenager right now and particularly, I think, compared to when I was a teenager. And so I do think God was doing something in this generation that often gets talked about um, in terms of things like anxiety and depression and hopelessness and a lack of faith in the people leading them and all this kind of things. It does feel like God was particularly stirring the hearts of the young people. Like me and Debbie said, we really felt like we went there and were able to receive ourselves, but it feels like he... There's obviously a level of need and brokenness with that generation that God sees, and he sees his people, and often that's when he breaks out is when there's a real need. Yeah, there was a, something somebody wrote which I thought was really profound because what is overwhelming about when, you, when we were there was this incredible sense of peace. And because there wasn't loud, loud volumes of, of music and sound and, and you weren't being spoken at or preached at, um, there was room for people to really respond. And so uh, this is what somebody wrote. They said, a tangible sense of peace for a generation with unprecedented anxiety. 
a restorative sense of belonging for a generation amidst an epidemic of loneliness, an authentic hope for a generation marked by depression, a leadership emphasizing protective humility in relationship with power for a generation deeply hurt by the abuse of religious power. I thought that was absolutely profound. That's, that is what it felt like. It was beautiful. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And, and as we were reflecting this week, we were saying, how about like the next generation is known for singing out, pouring of God's spirit rather than all of those other things. So yeah. Um, Ollie, what would you say like some of the themes that were coming throughout? So um, one of the things that really struck me was uh, there was quite, um, there was a real sense of, uh, of almost like consecration. So I, if, I don't know if many of you may not have seen the live stream, but behind the stage there was this, uh, these words that just said, be holy unto the Lord. And it felt like that captured something of what was going on. Like Debbie said, it wasn't necessarily preached from the front that there was this sense of people being like, come and confess or anything like that. If anything, there were people just saying, receive the love of God. And there was lots of talk of that. And in doing so, then it seemed like for one reason or another, loads of these students, particularly and young people, felt the need to then go and repent and confess and bring all of their brokenness um, to the Lord. And um, so much so that I was, someone was telling me about the way they, they lead worship. And like Sue said, it wasn't necessarily the most high-quality, high-production worship, but sometimes you were like, oh, this person's like, they're okay on the piano or whatever. Um, but it turns out what they were doing, the leaders um, were looking out into the room and almost asking, like, Holy Spirit, who are the people you want to lead worship? And um, can you imagine if we were doing that, like, right now? Just we're going to do it in a minute. No, yeah. no, no we're not. <laughs> yeah. And... They, and then they would go and find those people and they would be like, do you play an instrument or do you sing or anything like that? And presumably sometimes they'd be like, oh yeah, I do. But other times they'd be like, yeah, I guess I kind of sing. And then they would take them into another room and they would pray with them for about 20, 30, 40 or so minutes and just very like, gently and lovingly just ask them if they had anything that they wanted to kind of confess before they shared. So they'd be like, is there anything you're carrying in with you today? Is there anything that's holding you back from what the Holy Spirit might want to do in you today? Anything like that. And they would do that and then they would just go out and they would swap over with the people that had been there. And every half an hour or so, this is what would happen. There'd be new people going up there who weren't necessarily the most like, talented worship leaders in the world. Um, but it kind of shows you afterwards, it makes sense, because you're like, ah, oh, that's why, on the one hand, it was quite underwhelming in terms of what was going on. But it's also why, on the other hand, it was quite overwhelming, that God was doing this profound thing where people were really humbling themselves um, and then doing that way. So it felt like just in the whole... The thread throughout all of it felt like a real level of confession and consecration to the Lord. And, and the other thing that struck me was that they, they just didn't spend any time introducing people's names or anything like mm. that. So it was just, you, you, if you were caught up in worship, you didn't notice this change. There was just a flow of the sense of the presence of the Lord. But they just do not want to be named. They don't want to be named. They want to be faceless um, because they are sick of the whole celebrity mm. culture that has, they've just seen celebrities fall and, mm. you know. So how did it impact you, Debbie? Gosh, uh, well, apart from just sobbing <laughs> most of the time, I think, I think uh, it restored a, a sense of um, energy to pray because I think I was feeling, uh, before I went there, like, oh, Lord, is, is anything going to change? This is just, things seem to get worse and worse. Um, and, and so there was that re revived sense of being called to pray. Let me just read you this um, scripture, which you will all, those of you who pray will know, but it's um, 2 Chronicles 7. Um, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And, and the, the truth is that is in a sense what I felt the Lord was calling to, to me all over again. Um, as well as that, 
I just feel just such a desire to worship. And, um, you know, and then every so often I just want to cry. You know, it's a difficult thing to explain, but there's hope. There's a, there's a real desire to just get really serious in prayer and just be in a place of worship, really. What about you, Ollie? I think a couple of things, one of which I think the, like, the confession and the humility side of things really challenge me of like, what does this look like in my life? Like we obviously, we have a fairly relaxed kind of style of doing church and we probably don't talk about things like confession and repentance very much, but you could see what God was doing in it and you could see the, the humility and the hunger that it brought when we just bring our brokenness to the Lord. So I think it made me think on a personal level, what does that look like for me? But also I think um, like when I was out there, I don't necessarily feel like I kind of had this crazy encounter or anything like that. If anything, it was, there was a real sense of... Um, what we were seeing out there kind of felt like, oh, like, this isn't that different to what God does anywhere. Do you know what I mean? It was just people were, who were hungry to meet with him, particularly young people, um, and, and just hungry to, to pursue him and to worship him. And, and me and Suze were saying, just before I went out, we were in this room for what was called the DTI road trip, where there were about 500 young people from all across the region who were here. And in some ways, it felt quite similar. There were young people up at the front on their knees humbling themselves before the Lord, just hungry to meet with Jesus. And just the sense that actually, it's not like there was just this one kind of profound thing that over there that happened for there. Um, but actually, God can do this stuff anywhere. And it wasn't really, in some ways, it wasn't that unique. It was just like quite intense. And so I guess the question it left for me was, well, what, how do we, not how do we replicate it like we've shared? We don't want to just all of a sudden try and do our own thing like that. But how do we position ourselves with that level of humility and that level of hunger to long to see God do something, not just in our young people, but in us as well? Yeah, I think it's interesting, the word hunger, because uh, I think that is what, what this has stirred up, is a sense of like, we want to be in that place of total surrender. And, um, and I think that's what I was seeing, you know, hour by hour, these young people just surrendering. Some of them would be up there receiving prayer for an hour, you know, just before the, the rail, before the, in the, on the stage, as you say, that word, you know, holiness unto the Lord, and then there would be a cross there. And it was just stunning. I, it struck me, somebody once, uh, obviously we hear about revivals, awakenings and revivals. We've had them in our, in our British Isles history. Um, you know, the Welsh revival, the Hebridean revival. And amazing things happen from those. They're not just that the outpouring or the awakening that happens in those moments. It's what, what goes from there. And I think our prayer in terms of what happens with this, which is already spreading, is not just that young people would have a profound encounter, but is the fruit that's going to come of that. Um, and I'll just, I'll just read this one. This is um, in uh, about 300 years ago, a similar thing happened in what is now Germany among a group of people called the Moravians. They'd been bickering, judging, criticizing each other over many things. Then one day the Spirit of God fell on their little group with such power and love that they didn't want to leave. Over the next period of several months, they met three times a day. Then they began a 24-hour prayer circle, um, and they were healed. They were reconciled in wonderful ways. They... Um, they were set free of, of fear and anger. And then the Spirit began to speak to them about the forgotten people of the world. They sent wave after wave after wave of people to the slaves in the Caribbean, the indigenous people of North America, the Muslims, to Africa. Many never returned alive, but they carried the presence of God, uh, his love, his mercy, everywhere they went because they had first soaked in it. And I think that's an amazing thing is that we long for these encounters. And I think that there's plenty for us. If we will hunger for it, and then take the time to soak in God's presence, I do believe he then gives us 
fresh calling, fresh purpose to go out and just share that with the world, wherever that takes us, you know, whether it's, it's in our professions, in our families, but also, you know, in Nottingham and beyond. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to add, Ollie? Um, I guess just a, a question. It's easy to, I guess, see something like this happening elsewhere, but I guess it does just ask the question for each one of us of, like, how hungry are we? And I guess I can only answer that for myself of, like, how hungry am I to see the Lord move in my own life, but also um, in and around the people that I meet. And I guess, like Debbie says, I think there is, regardless of what we think is going on on the other side of the world, there is always the constant invitation for each one of us of, like, Will you come back? Will you make me your first love? Will you, will you put me at the centre of everything you're doing? And I think probably for each of us this morning, again, there's, uh, there's that opportunity of like where, um, where else do we want to go other than to Jesus? Yeah. And, and even bringing our lack of hunger is hunger in itself. Even just coming to him and being like, Lord, I know that I'm not right, but I want to be right. That in itself is, is the best thing that we can do. You know, um, just a, a story. There was a couple who were with us in the line that we were lined up for six and a half hours. And to be honest, we only started talking to them about half an hour before we got in the building. And uh, they had come. Uh, it sounds to me like they didn't come from sort of a, a, a church where they talked about anything to do with the Holy Spirit or meeting Jesus in this kind of way. And, uh, and yet they felt drawn that they should be there. And, um, and again, we get up into the balcony. They were a couple of rows down. And, you know, it wasn't like anything um, huge was happening in our, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm, I've been around where things have got really messy, where, where people shout out and jump up and down and all sorts of things happen. And it's glorious and wonderful. But it wasn't like that necessarily what was going on. But anyway, this couple who sat soaked in it for probably five and a half hours, they then went out for dinner with Jordan and Sarah, my son and daughter-in-law. And, um, and they have not stopped uh, since they got home. And they are praying for people they are seeing. They, they just, just cannot stop worshipping. They're on fire. And um, unfortunately, the church that they belong to was not a church that understood any of this kind of stuff. And they feel they need to find somewhere else. But, but it was the fact that they've changed forever just, to, just being in a place that was open to the presence of God. And then one other was the, uh, one of the young... I mean, we had so many stories for the young people sharing their testimonies, but there was one that really impressed me was a, was a blind boy who got up and where others had been... There'd been physical healings happening. It was all very low-key, but some of the stories were, were physical healings. And, and this boy got up and he said, you know, I had an accident and for five years I've been blind. I've been blind and I have been angry with God because I wasn't healed of my blindness. And he said, I haven't been healed, but I feel a an incredible sense of closeness to God, to Jesus. And I feel that I have been, I have a purpose to share the gospel in a way that nobody who isn't, you know, if you're not blind, you can't share it in the way that I can. And he felt this incredible sense that though he was blind, he had something profound to offer. And I, I felt really moved by that story. And it felt like the young people are just being given a fresh energy to be Jesus in the world. Yeah, I love it. And I think as, as I've, and we've been reflecting over the last couple of weeks, this, this theme of hunger has really been the thing that we've been talking a lot about. And as you read the scriptures, if you've read the Bible, you'll see that there's times in history where, where God's people are like, they're longing for, they're hung, hungering after, they're thirsting for, seeking after God's presence. And, um, and of course, what happens, uh, listen to some of these in the Psalms, listen to the posture of these guys' hearts. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. 
My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and a weary land where there is no water. Psalm 84, very familiar. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And so you see these psalmists, like their heart and their posture is just longing, longing for God. Oh, that our hearts would long for God in the same way. And so you see in the prophets, and this is a zip through, but you, you see God saying, one day I will pour out my spirit on all people. And there's a period of silence. And then Jesus comes, boom, he's there. And he says, wait for my spirit. And then he ascends to heaven, he comes with that. And in Acts you see this, the Holy Spirit coming on the church at Pentecost. And we, guys, we live in those days. Like we live in the days where we have the Holy Spirit inside all of us, present here in Nottingham as much as present in Asbury or, or there in Jerusalem back in, back in the day. And so we just want to make some space just, just now to pray and to, to welcome God's presence because he's here and he wants to, to move. And so just want to encourage you, if you're able, why don't you stand? Mm. We'll stand as well. Otherwise that would be... Slightly odd. So, Spirit of God, we just thank you that you're here. And we thank you that you do move. And, and even in our service this morning, we saw God do some beautiful things. And so, just want to encourage you just to have a posture of openness, whatever that looks like for you. As that psalmist prays, my soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out.